You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. sent forth. He made disciples and taught them God's word, and he baptized them. The Great Commission applies to the church today. Are we worthy of doing it? No, but God has called us to do it. God has given us the the power to do it. He's given us the authority to do it. He's given us the help by his Holy Spirit. Every Christian is called to take a step of faith and spread the good news of the gospel. This is faith in action. This is what we witnessed in the life of Peter in chapter 10. Anyone who obeys this command will experience a change in their own life. You may have wondered what the point of your life as a believer is. Today, Pastor Dave talks about the Great Commission. Everyone who believes in Jesus is given the task of spreading the gospel to those who are in need of Jesus. God has given you the authority to share the truth with others through the Holy Spirit. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 10 as he continues his message, The Great Commission in Action. The book of Acts is built upon this one passage, Acts 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Here's the power that we've been waiting for. And this is what we've been studying for the past months now. In chapter 10 of Acts, we see the Great Commission now in action. We see it actually happening before its eyes because you may be wondering, well, what does it look like? What does it look like? Well, for the past months, we've been studying chapter 10. We've been in it a while now. And that's why this message is entitled, The Great Commission in Action. We see Peter following the Great Commission. We know that he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that Peter was there when Jesus gave the command, go forth and make disciples. Peter heard it with his own ears. Peter was there at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He preached that great sermon, and 3,000 people got saved. And then 2,000 got saved after that. And he preached before the Sanhedrin and all those things. And we've seen him. We've watched him. He's, he's relying on God. We read in Acts 10, verses 19 to 20, that Peter was actually sent to Cornelius' house by the Holy Spirit after his vision. After his vision, and he was contemplating on what his vision was, the Holy Spirit came to him and said, three men are coming. They're coming from Cornelius' house. I sent them. You go with them. And out of obedience... Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, followed these men, these Gentiles. God was making a new transition. He was making a whole new plan. He was making a whole new thing, and he went to Cornelius' house by the Holy Spirit. See, it's interesting that when Christ gave the Great Commission, he said, go into all the world. He said, go into all the world to preach. His plan was salvation that would include the Gentiles. And even in the Old Testament, it alludes to The Gentiles being saved. There are passages that allude to all nations. Specifically, when when Abraham was called, as he was still Abram, the first promise in Genesis 12, in verse 3, says, and all the earth will be blessed through you. That's a promise to all the world, not just the Jews, the whole world. But, But it's interesting. 
It's very interesting to me because when Jesus sent the disciples out the first time in Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6, he clearly said, only go to the lost sheep of Israel. Don't go to the Samaritans and don't go to the Gentiles. He only sent them to the Jews first. But he knew Israel would reject him. He knew his plan wouldn't go forth, and he knew what he had to do and what was going to take place. So the Holy Spirit sent Peter to Cornelius' house. We saw that. What did Peter do once he got there? So Peter was sent. All right, that's the first part of the commission. What did Peter do when he got there? He preached. Peter's proclamation. We had it last week. He preached the word of God. He preached the word of God to these people, and he said, all who believe in the name of Jesus Christ will find remission of sins. They will find forgiveness. They will find pardon of sins. But something strange happened while Peter was talking to these guys. Something really interesting happened as Peter was speaking. The people who were with him, these Jews that followed him, and we found out that that there were men that went with him, they were amazed. They were astonished at what happened to these Gentile believers as Peter was talking. What happened to them was remarkable. Something happened in their heart while Peter was talking. The Word of God fell upon them and sliced their heart in two. It quickened their heart to the Word of God. It says in verse 44 of Acts, now we're in our study, in verse 44 of Acts it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Remember Romans 10, 17? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. They were ready. Remember the preparation that we talked about of Cornelius? They were ready to receive God's word. They were willing to receive God's word. They wanted God's word because Cornelius had said, this is the way to salvation. Yeah, that's what we want. We want salvation. And they were there, and they were ready to receive. And Peter gets in there, and he starts to speak these words. Now, we don't know when the Holy Spirit cut him off. Funny, Peter's used to being interrupted by God. Peter Peter had a habit of always being interrupted by God when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, God interrupted him when he said, you know, we should build three temples. This is my son. Oh, (laughs) you know. He was interrupted when, G- when he started to tell Jesus that he shouldn't go and be, be, uh, be crucified. He was interrupted there. He's interrupted several times. But the Holy Spirit interrupts Peter, falls upon these men, falls upon these people who are gathered. Their hearts are quickened to the truth of Jesus Christ, and they believe right there on the spot. They believe because Peter is talking to them, filled with the Holy Spirit. Their hearts are sliced open. Their hearts are carved open, and God then pours his love into them, pours his spirit into them. I believe that their preparation had a big part in this. I believe that because they were prepared, this happened. Now, I told you that God works on both ends. We talked about that before, his providential hand. And if God quickens your heart to go talk to somebody, I believe that God is setting that person up to hear something from you. I told you the story, and I'll repeat it. It bears repeating about the guy who was driving the car one day. He was driving the car one day, and he heard the Lord said, this is crazy, he said, Go find a mailbox, stick your head in the mailbox, and yell, Jesus loves you. The guy says, what? Turn the radio a little louder. <laughs> he says, he said, I just kept hearing that over and over and over. Go find a mailbox, stick your head in it, and yell, Jesus loves you. And he's like, so he's driving the car, and he's hearing this and hearing this. And finally, he stopped the car. He got out of the car. He looked around to see if anybody was looking, went over to the mailbox, opened the mailbox, and goes, okay, Lord, puts his head in there and goes, Jesus loves you, and it echoed all over the whole place. Turn around, jump to the car, and start the car, and all of a sudden this guy comes running out and says, oh, no. Oh, no, here I did it. This guy's, oh, I'm going to jail. I am going to jail. This guy runs out, 
and she goes like this. He stops, rolls out of the room, and he says, did you, did you just yell? He said, yeah, I just yelled, Jesus loves you. He said, you don't understand. You don't understand. The guy was crying. He says, I'm in the bathroom standing on a stool. I have a rope over top of the banister, and I'm going to jump off and hang myself. And I cry out to the Lord, Lord, if you're real, tell me you're real. And the next thing I hear is, Jesus loves you. Tell me about this Jesus. The guy was born again right there on the spot. God makes a preparation on all hearts. God prepares you and sends you, and God prepares the people to whom you are being sent. He prepares their heart so that when you arrive, when you start to tell them, something happens in their heart, and they're going, this is exactly what I was waiting for. This is exactly the truth that I needed. Thank you, Jesus, and bang. And you sit around and go, how did that happen? The Lord said, I did it. How do you think it happened? I went to a Billy Graham crusade, the first, first time, only Billy Graham crusade that ever was in Philadelphia. I think it was in the early 90s, and I went there. I was just saved. And Billy, Billy Graham gets up there, and he, he speaks. I went there every single day, and he got up there, and he spoke. And it was so enlightening, so powerful. And all these people came forward, thousands upon thousands of people came forward and were born again. And I was standing there, and I'd only been saved for a couple of years, and I was really curious. And I was sitting next to my buddy, and I said, I have a problem. He said, what's that? He said, what did he say? Because what he said was so simple. It was so, it wasn't this glorious, wonderful oratory that you would expect from Billy Graham. It was just the gospel message broken down that I could understand, that he could understand, that somebody else could understand. It was so simple. But God had prepared the hearts of thousands upon thousands of people that when Billy spoke those words, God went in each heart, and they knew they had to accept Jesus Christ. That's how it works. And if you were to ask Billy Graham, how about all those thousands of people? Billy Graham was like, how about our God? It's not about the thousands of people. It's about God. God was the one that does the mighty work. God was the one that told that guy, stick your head in a mailbox and yell. Yeah, okay. I've done some crazy things in my time. Wow. But people accompanied Peter, brethren, Jews, and they were astonished. They couldn't believe that was happening. They were amazed by what they saw, what they had witnessed. And remember this prejudice that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles at the time, this extreme prejudice. They were extremely prejudiced towards the Gentiles. They called them dogs. They called them filth. They had to wash their hands. We went through the whole thing. They even heard Peter telling about the vision and about the food coming down and how he put it all together. And news would travel back to Jerusalem about this very event, and Peter would get in trouble for it or have to stand account for it, not trouble. But he would have some problems with this, as we see in chapter 11 when we get there. He has to explain some things, but it's all part of God's plan. All part of God's wisdom. But as in Mark's account of the Great Commission, these believers begin to speak in tongues when the Holy Spirit came upon them. These tongues are not evidence of the Holy Spirit, can be an evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, just because they speak in tongues doesn't mean that doesn't prove that they were saved. Nowhere in Scripture it says you must speak in tongues in order to show you're saved. That's not there. I mean, if you want to talk about the gift of tongues to look at it, read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. It talks about the specificity of tongues, the interpretation, the order of which everything needs to be done. And that's where we get our scriptures from. But this is kind of like what happened at Pentecost. And when I was reading this, I'm like, wow, this is like a Gentile Pentecost. You know, it's, it's like a Gentile Pentecost because they're receiving the Holy Spirit just as the Jews did that were gathered at the Feast of Pentecost. They're speaking in tongues just like the Jews did at Pentecost. And what are they doing? What are they saying? They're glorifying God. They're magnifying God. So many times 
Somebody thinks they have the gift of tongues that will stand up and they'll say something, then the interpretation was, well, they're prophesying. Well, that's not the gift of tongues. You don't prophesy with the gift of tongues. It's to give glory and honor to God. Every gift gives glory and honor to God, and that's what we see happening here. He's praising God for his love, just like in Acts 2. <laughs> Peter is so astounded, he doesn't know what to do. And I can just see Peter standing there looking around. What's he looking for? He's looking for water, because <laughs> he knows. He said, these guys just got saved. These just got saved. Look what he says in verse 47. Can anyone forbid water that those that should be baptized who receive the Holy Spirit, just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized. Peter realized what had just happened was God. He knew that God had just acted in a mighty, mighty way, just the same thing that had happened to him at Pentecost. He knew that, that this was a major moment. He realized that God had now opened the door of salvation to another nation, a nation that wasn't called originally, a nation that wasn't God's people, a nation that wasn't originally God's choice, but God had opened the door because of his infinite mercy and because of his love. They became the branch that was grafted in. They, ladies and gentlemen, are us. Praise God for this passage. They are us. We have been called, and we have been asked to be grafted into the vine, to the major vine, grafted into Israel as God's people, as God's love. He has called us, and he has loved us with that everlasting love that Marion quoted. He's loved us with that everlasting love. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's called us into his own love, into his own house. Come, and he says, yes, Israel is my beloved. They're the apple of my eye. But you, church, you're my bride. You are my bride. You are my beloved, and I will love you forever, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are my church. And this is what we see happening here. It's incredible. The doors have opened wide. And here's Peter, Peter with the keys of the kingdom, unlocking another door, unlocking another door and saying, come in, Gentiles. Come into God's love. Oh, this should make our hearts soar. This should make our hearts soar with gladness because we see ourselves here. Baptism would be the next step according to the Great Commission. By baptism, these Gentiles, these converts, Peter now again unlocks this door to the kingdom of God. Because at the time, Gentiles were not allowed to be baptized. Even when they became converts, they were not allowed to be baptized. But this time, Peter unlocked the door to those that would by faith accept Jesus Christ. He unlocked that door and he said, welcome in. Peter recognizes that the Gentiles were indeed true believers. And as true believers, he commands them to be baptized. He commands them to be baptized and show their identification with Jesus Christ. These Gentiles, make it clear here, these Gentiles were not saved because they were baptized. They were not saved because they were baptized. They were baptized because they gave evidence of their salvation, an outward expression of what had happened internally while Peter was talking to them. An outward expression. Look at the progression. Number one, they heard the gospel message, which they must have been readily to receive. And when they believed in the salvation, they became born again. They begin indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon them and empowers them for service, and it dispenses spiritual gifts. It dispenses spiritual gifts to them for some reason. In Acts 1.5 and Acts 11.16, it says, Truly, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. This is the AP experience where the Holy Spirit comes upon and gives you power for service. And then they were baptized according to the command of the Great Commission. These events, being sent to Cornelius' house, preaching God's word, them, the, the Gentiles being born again, which was a seal of their salvation when they were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The water baptism, the outward expression of what happened inside, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Great Commission looks like. 
This is a natural progression in the Great Commission, and we're witnessing it here in Acts 10. Finally, we see on the last part of the Great Commission, discipleship. In verse 48, it says, they asked him to stay with them a few days. And we know that Peter stayed with them, and Peter taught them, and Peter began to disciple them and bring them into a better knowledge of Jesus Christ, bring them into maturity, if you will, with God's word. Peter stayed with him just as Jesus commanded them. He tarried in Caesarea and helped the ground these new believers in the word of God, helped them to walk the Christian life. As a church, it's our responsibility to ground new believers in what they believe. It's our responsibility to help them grow in the grace and knowledge of God. It's our responsibility. We must do that when people come and be born again. We're praying right now about opening some classes that would do that, that would help people to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that would give them a foothold in God's grace, a foothold in the knowledge of the Word. So chapter 10 closes. This was a huge event that involved Cornelius, and it was a major transition in God's program from the Jews to the Gentile, from the law to grace, and from Israel now to the church. With this event, the walls of separation have been severed. The walls of separation have been torn down. God took the Jew. God took the Gentile, and he's made them one. The believing Jew, the believing Gentile are now one and unified in Jesus Christ. They become the body of Christ. They become his church. This entire experience is a great example of what we know as the Great Commission. Peter was sent forth. He made disciples and taught them God's word, and he baptized them. The Great Commission applies to the church today. Are we worthy of doing it? No, but God has called us to do it. God has given us the the power to do it. He's given us the authority to do it. He's given us the help by his Holy Spirit. Every Christian is called to take a step of faith and spread the good news of the gospel. This is faith in action. This is what we witness in the life of Peter in chapter 10. Anyone who obeys this command will experience a change in their own life. If you've ever shared the word of God, regardless of whether it's been accepted or not, you experience a change in your life. You experience something that happens in you as you share God's word. Because what are you doing? You're following a command of Christ. We witnessed this. We saw this. Maybe it's just speaking the good news to your neighbor. Maybe as God has called you as far as your own backyard. Maybe you have a Mr. Wilson who stands over the fence and talks to you. Maybe Mr. Wilson is just dying to hear the gospel message because the Lord keeps telling him, will you go talk to your neighbor? Will you go talk to your neighbor? And he's waiting for you to say, what about Christ? He's just waiting for you to say that. I believe sometimes when you open up the gospel, it's like, do you know Christ? It's almost like the person said, finally, somebody asked. I think people out there are literally dying to know Christ. And we need to be the ones that go out there and tell them about it. It's our charge. It's what we've been called to do. Faith in action. Maybe you were called to talk to a coworker. Maybe that coworker you've been sitting next to and having lunch with for a long, long time, maybe the time is now that you talk to them about Christ if you haven't already. Maybe it's time that you you talk to them. Not many of us will be called to a faraway land. Some of us may be. Some of us may be called to a far, far faraway land to teach the gospel. John and Cheryl in Panama right now. I talk to them on Skype all the time. John and Cheryl in Panama right now. We have friends of ours who are in Morocco, Tony Parker. We have friends of ours who are in Bahrain, Denny Barger, who was here at this forum and gave witness. He's in Bahrain right now. You might not be called to the far ends of the world. To you, the far ends of the world could be Cape May County. But you've been called here for such a time as this to share God's word wherever you go. And we do this, and we're compelled through obedience to Jesus Christ to do this. It's what he's called us to do. 
How do we share God's word? Well, you know what? I go back to it all the time. You've heard it here before, and if you hang around me long enough, you'll hear it again. St. Augustine, lovely St. Augustine, quote, I spent 40 years preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and every now and then, I open my mouth. Your life speaks volumes to those that are looking in. And trust me, you declare yourself a Christian, everybody's looking. Everybody wants to see how you are living. Everybody wants to come up to you and go, you call yourself a Christian. Look what you just did. Everybody, including your household, including your family, they're all looking. It's your life that speaks volumes. Because does your talk match your walk? Are they one? Do people know that you believe in Jesus Christ by the way you walk, by the way you live your life? You've got to see the movie Courageous. You've got to see the movie Courageous when, when there's a couple instances in there that are it's absolutely incredible where this, this, this life-living gospel is exemplified. It's incredible when you see it. God is calling us. What is it that he's called you to do? Maybe it's just be a good Christian and read your word. Maybe it's just live your life the way you live it. Maybe he'll never put anybody in front of you to, to, to talk to. Maybe he hasn't called you into service or into ministry. I don't know. I don't know what God has plans for you. That's between you and God. I don't know what God has called you to do. I know what he's called us all to do, one thing and one thing as much as we can, believe, to have faith, to stand strong in our faith. We talked about this on Wednesday because the time is coming and the time is now that we need to be ever steadfast. We need to be unmovable in our faith and know that what we're doing for the Lord is not being done in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We need to stand steadfast in the Lord, immovable in our faith, because the day's going to come and is coming when babies are going to be more and more in jeopardy, when lives are going to be more and more in jeopardy, when our lives are going to be in jeopardy for preaching God's word. Perilous times have come upon us and among us, Lord. And he knows it's the last day. He knows the last days are coming. And he's saying, be steadfast. Be immovable in your faith. And I get that to believe, to, to mean stand up for what you believe. Stand up for who you are. You are new in Christ. You are a new creation. Pray to him. Seek him. See where he might lead you or guide you or send you. See where he's called you to do. Get on your face before him and ask, what is it I'm supposed to do? We overlook the power of prayer. Some people are called just to pray, and that's their prayer. They pray behind the scenes, and we never see that person, and they're praying mightily. I believe that person's going to be first in line. They're going to be the one who gets, who gets all the glory because they never see that person. That person's praying and praying and praying. That's all they do. But it's a wonderful power of intercessory prayer. Who's the Lord placed upon your heart that maybe he wants you to talk to? Maybe a guy or gal or somebody you've known for a long time. Take that small step of faith. Step out knowing that Christ is always by your side. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I'm giving you the power through your Holy Spirit to do what I've called you to do. Walk forward. He's called us to make disciples of all nations. He's called us to fill his command. And we call his command the Great Commission. And I think we're up for the challenge. I think God has placed it in you to be up for that challenge. You are Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. 
Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? He met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope. Show.